Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I am here with my friend and co-host Adam Hawkins. And today we are excited to have a conversation with Jen Pollock-Michelle, writer of a really fascinating book, Surprised by Paradox, The Promise of And in an Either-Or World. Jen, welcome to the show. We're so happy Thank to have you. you here. Well, I'm excited to be here. Here, as in in my bedroom, <laughs> and you as in there. <laughs> Can you just start us off by sharing a little bit about yourself and what you do for our listeners who might not be familiar with you? Sure. I just recently moved from Toronto to Cincinnati. So I'm an American who was living away for many years, about 11 years outside of the U.S., but we're back to Cincinnati to care for aging parents. Um, I have five kids and actually five books. That's the first time I've <laughs> I've said it like that. Like my fifth book is coming out in December. So um, yeah, most days I'm kind of sitting around reading, cooking, <laughs> um, writing, um, chauffeuring my kids somewhere probably. <laughs> and now, you know, caring for my mom, yeah. taking her to her hair appointments and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So all the important stuff, the good stuff. Exactly. So in your book, um, one, I just want to say this, you write beautifully. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like you just do. Yeah. Um, and so if you don't have Jen's newsletter, you need to sign up for it. I get your newsletter and I just love oh. the way you write. So that's just an extra tidbit. Yeah. Um, but in your book, you talk about this idea of paradox, which I think is just really an essential thing to our Christian faith mm-hmm. that we don't always pay attention to the way we should. Uh, I think the language I use sometimes is living in this tension. It's this idea mm-hmm. that, you know, we have some foundational paradoxes to our orthodox beliefs, right? That God became mm-hmm. man, Christ was born of a virgin, Jesus rode from the dead. Um, at face value, these can seem to be absurd realities, but they're mm-hmm. true and essential to what it means for us to be Christians. But instead of us leaning into them, I think in our generation, we either ignore them or try to explain them to away. Like we have this emphasis on certainty. Why mm-hmm. do you think this is? Um, probably the impulse to control Mm -hmm. things, you know, I mean, the more certain I feel about a particular situation, whether it's my theology or what I'm cooking for dinner, like, I feel like I'm in control, you Mm. know, and, um, the less certain I feel about particular things, then the, then the more I feel that I'm maybe vulnerable Mm. to surprise or to something that is larger than me or something that is outside of my understanding, And, um, you know, I'm like everybody else. I like certainty. I like to have control of things. And yet I think these are the very things that are antithetical to the life of faith. Um, You know, and I, it's, it's easy sometimes, I think, to make our desires for control look like something other than, you know, the naked impulse to be God. Um, But I think that that can happen even as we try to understand God, even as we try to follow God. Mm. As somebody who struggles with control and anxiety and a million Mm -hmm. other things, there's obviously, there's, you know, this strange irony 
uh, that the more certitude you have, often the more anxious you become. I don't know why that ha- it's that control thing that happens. There's so much more to lose when you feel like you have such a tight grip, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love what you say in the book. I'm going to read a, a, a quote, but I love the irony of paradox and what it actually invites us into. And so there's this quote, maybe the mystery of suffering isn't only that this world could be so fragile. Maybe it's also that God could be so close, bending his ear to the earth to let every grieving heart crawl inside and find rest, not answers, but comfort, not certainty, but trust. And perhaps that's enough to tide us over till the dawning of a new world when the heavy boots of death are sent straight to hell and everything fragile is made unbreakable again where falling becomes rising and faith becomes sight. Such a beautiful portion of the book. Can you talk a little bit more about that irony about how paradox brings us to trust? Mm. Yeah, the image in the book, and I, and I think it's just kind of worth repeating right. because it, it has really stuck with me is, is Moses at the burning bush. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that what happens to Moses at the burning bush, he sees something that's paradoxical. It's a book, bush that is burning mm-hmm. and is not burned, burned up, not consumed. And what is the very, what does he do? You know, he removes his shoes and it's the moment of encounter with mm-hmm. God. And he doesn't get all the answers. Right. Right. In fact, like he gets he gets a tremendous call late on his life that feels impossibly big Mm. and a call for which he feels woefully inadequate. And I think to be truthful, we sometimes want to just avoid those kinds of places Mm. in our lives. Mm. You know, I would much rather sort of, you know, Lord, let me know what the five year plan is and I'm happy (laughs) to follow so long as I have right. a sense of kind of where we're going, but this faith that um, isn't by sight, you know, mm. walking that isn't by sight, I don't know how to do that very well. Um, and I think the only way that we do do that is again, we started, we start to step into the mystery of who God is, even the fact that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. Um, and that's what paradox invites us into, mm-hmm. into an expanse that is so much bigger than our mind, you know, could, couldn't even conceive of. Mm. And we don't like to admit it. I don't like to admit it, but we do domesticate God. Mm-hmm. We do sort of, and and in many ways, that's a very natural impulse. We try to, in order to understand things, we make them like things that we we already know or might be familiar with. But the, I think the journey of faith is always stepping into the understanding, like God, you, you're so much bigger. Mm-hmm. And paradox is that, kind of eye-opening experience. Wait, hold on here. I've met the limits of my own understanding. Mm. I have to take off my shoes and bend to a reality that is, it's just not within a framework that mm. I understand. Mm. You know, I think about um, kind of coming to the limits of our understanding, having to bend ourselves to a reality instead of trying to bend the reality to us. Mm. Um I see that as changing the way that we interact and see God in some fundamental ways. Um, how, even in your own personal experiences, you've walked through the writing of this book and kind of living of this book. Um, how have you seen paradox change the way you worship God? Like mm. embracing mm. it. 
have you seen it change the way that you kind of, yeah, in, interact and worship, um, worship God? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I guess I would say probably most fundamentally, it's it's constantly wrestling with the tension that God is good, mm-hmm. and yet he's not always delivering on good in the way that I script it as such. You know, that God's not giving me my best life now um, in, in a way that I necessarily understand, right? You know, I mean, draw back the veil, draw back the veil. And we know that, you know, God is doing, he's doing good. He is good. He does good. He plans good. You know, he, he, he's not looking to trip his people up, you know, or punish them, you know, just because they got out of line. But I think we, but we live in a veiled reality. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that I can live um, a particular season of life, I mean, I'm actually living this season right now, you know, where our family just left Toronto, a place that we loved, a place that we've made a home, mm-hmm. place that we really considered that would be our home for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we came home to care for aging parents. And someone told me a couple of days ago, I think what you're doing is so beautiful. And I, I, it was actually on a message and I, you know, I remember just crying in prayer, like, lad, I don't know if this is beautiful. I just know it's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that God can be good and yet lead me into the wilderness, mm. actually not lead me around the valley of the shadow of death, but lead me right through it. Um, you know, these that I mean, I find a lot of comfort, for example, in the book of Job, which mm. I find to be a very paradoxical book, because we are really meant to understand at the end that Job has he's he's maintained a faith that his friends haven't, you know, Mm. because they get the correction at the end of the book. But boy, you read that, you know, you read Job's monologues and you think this is faith, you know, I will have a word with you. You will, (laughs) you will answer me. Um, I don't know. I find a lot of comfort in that. Mm. I think that, It is so dangerous to expect that just because God is good and because I know him to be good and I know, you know, the incredible hope of the gospel that if he didn't spare his own son, what would he not give along with him? You know, I mean, this is true of God, that he is good and generous and that human life is is very hard mm. and um you know not everything gets fixed on this side mm-hmm. um and we're living a veiled reality yeah. and that doesn't make me feel actually less hopeful it, it actually makes me it invites me into a deeper trust it actually invites me to let go mm-hmm. of expectations mm-hmm. that end up um corrupting my, my life of faith and my, my trust, because usually what happens is, you know, we start to bargain with God, God, so long as you do this, so long as you meet my expectations, I'm fine to serve you and worship you. But as we're letting go of expectations, I think we're again, getting ready to stand in, I guess, getting ready to really enter the reality of God's awesomeness. Yeah, I love the way you're talking about that. Some one of the things we say around here sometimes is just this idea of so often what we're doing is trying to control outcomes 
when when if we would fall in love with obedience more than we'd fall in love with outcomes, what might God do? And I think as you're describing this relationship with God, uh, a relationship of trust and being in awe of Him, we get so much more when we step out of that bargaining reality with Him mm-hmm. or trying to control outcomes. Um, God, if I do this, I'll get this, or I thought I was owed this. And sometimes I don't even know that we're thinking about it that way, but what happens when we step out of that? I think it's just so beautiful. It struck me as we've been talking, and after all that commentary I just gave, it struck me, maybe it'd be helpful to actually define paradox itself. Like, what is paradox? Because as we're talking, I'm hearing words like faith and trusting relationship. And I know for some people... Or even for me, when you first think of it, it's like, wait a minute, I thought paradox was synonymous with contradiction. I thought paradox mm. meant uh, these are problems that are unsolvable, and so walk away, right? Typically, if you show something to be paradoxical, you show it to be absurd, and so you that's when you bow out, or something like that. I don't know. But you have this great line in the book where you say, paradox is not the same as self-contradiction, and I just, I loved that. I thought it was so clarifying. So, yeah, what's a good definition for paradox? Mm. Um, that's a good question because it's funny when I was initially writing the book, I didn't think I was writing about paradox. I thought mm. I was writing about mystery. And yeah. so let me contrast um, paradox and mystery. You know, mystery is just something that is unknowable. Um, I'm not speaking of the biblical, the way the biblical writers use mystery, you know, something to be revealed, but let's just say mystery in the general sense of like, it's a mystery. I don't know, you know, until it's revealed, it's, it's um, opaque. It's mm. unknowable. Um, Um, And that is not paradox. Paradox is actually two knowable truths that just seem to be at variance with one another. Mm. And sometimes, sometimes they look as if they're, they're contradicted, but they're really more just linguistically contradicted Mm. or maybe rhetorically. So we could say, you know, the first are last and the last are first. Is that really a paradox or is that more that, um, rhetorically, we can we can understand what Jesus is saying there. Mm. He's not really talking about two different truths there. But then there are some truths that um, you know, you know they get they might get figured out in heaven. Um, you know, maybe there will be some things that we understand and some things that we don't. Um, some things that we some tensions that we will always have to live with. Mm. And I think that is the invitation of faith mm-hmm. in the midst of paradox mm. is, is because again, like you said, if we don't understand something often, we're like beyond my pay grade, run away. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> or favor one part of the paradox as opposed to the other mm. one truth as opposed to another um, instead of staying in the place of I've got to actually hold both of these things, you know, so I talk in the book about a difficult family relationship, mm-hmm. um, not really, not my mother, actually, a different, <laughs> another family relationship um, where, you know, truth seemed to be a really important thing to uphold in the relationship. This person was lying to me a lot. And what I really wanted to say to them was, you can't lie to me. This is not how, you know, mm. relationships build trust, you know, if you're going to lie to me. But this person was suffering 
a lot of trauma. Mm. And so, you know, I kind of was like, is, is the loving thing to do to just sort of pretend that the line isn't happening? Like Mm. how, for example, I don't want to necessarily say that truth and love are a paradox, but I want to say that it, it, that is an example of a tension Mm -hmm. that we'd like to resolve Um, but maybe we can't, maybe Mm. it's not either truth or, you know, love in favor of saying nothing. Maybe it's both at the same time. And, Mm. and that really became so important to me was to start looking for the both and the, and in large part, because it often forced me to sort of wait longer than just assume that the alternatives I came up with in my mind were the only ones, you know, to actually say, well, God, he's infinitely creative. You know, maybe if he's, maybe he has got a lot more alternatives than my either or in this Mm. particular situation. Mm. That's great. Yeah. You know, I I think it creates this, this dependency on God Mm. um, because when we are able to cleanly reconcile something and say, I understand this, or this makes sense that we gain this false confidence in that certainty. Uh, but sitting in this both and makes you really, one, because the Lord, I have to trust you to give mm-hmm. me the wisdom to know how to navigate this. But also, and I think we've said it before, that we get to experience a depth and a beauty, even though it might not feel beautiful or look beautiful. I think I can say this looking back in some seasons, that there is a depth and a beauty to how I see God and my relationship with Him because I went with faith into place beyond my limits um, mm-hmm. and saw what I would not have seen if mm. I had just held to my bargaining or it said, this is where I'm not going beyond this, or I can't trust you for X, Y, Z, Lord. I'm going to stay right here. But it's like, if God is as big as he says he is, and he is, then I just have to walk and trust that somehow with him, um, enough understanding, enough assistance, enough will come that I'm able to exist in this place of tension and not lose myself, but in some sense come into a deeper understanding of who I am and who I who he is and how mm. those two things in, intersect. And it just is um, the amount of co- the amount of confidence we place on knowing with certainty. I think in um, our moment and generation of Christianity. And what we lose in that, this is not Elizabeth saying that knowing and certainty aren't good things. <laughs> um, <laughs> do not at me. But um, it is this, uh, I think even as I look at generations of Christians of the past, that this freedom that they had to step into these areas of paradox, um, and I think and just because in some transitions we've had and how we come to know things in our generation that we've lost that. And and I think that there's something to be regained there. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in your book, you hone in on four different categories of paradox. Mm -hmm. Uh, And can you just briefly just share with us what those are and why those four out of all the ones you could have chosen? Why, what made you focus um, your work on unpacking those? Mm -hmm. Well, the book um, ended up to be very serendipitous um, because I like to say that I really sort of went through the four movements of the gospel, but that wasn't intentional. Mm. I have to be honest and just say that I identified the places of tension that were most real for me in my own spiritual life. Mm. So um, incarnation is the first one, and it really is the tension of an earthly life 
and a spiritual life. I don't even like to use that word spiritual, but let's just talk about like, you know, eternal, you know, the idea that I'm an earthbound being, I'm made of dust and yet um, redeemed through Jesus Christ, like I will live forever. And so I can think about growing up in my church and, you know, verses like Colossians 3, 1, set your mind on things above, your heart on things above. And to me, I internalize that as um, despise the things of the earth, Mm -hmm. you know, um, maybe you would, you know, pay a little attention to the things of the earth, but not too much, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely don't linger and look at yourself in the mirror too long at your physical appearance and don't, Mm -hmm. don't necessarily tend to your place, um, your home, because Mm -hmm. these are all very material vain things that are passing away. Mm. Um, I think that actually just became unworkable. (laughs) I think it's impossible. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how to love my neighbor until I reckon with my earthly life. Mm -hmm. You know, where am I today? What are my responsibilities on this earth? What neighborhood do I live in? Mm -hmm. What city do I live in? Who are the people around me? You know, these things actually matter a lot to God. And you see throughout Christian history, I think C.S. Lewis really puts it best when he says, you know, the people who thought most of the next world were the people who were able to invest best in this one. Mm. Um, And I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. So incarnation is really about grappling with that tension that, and is it possible to become too consumed with the material and the earthly? Of course, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and, but that doesn't mean that again, we ignore it or despise it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting, you know, I've been praying the John Bailey's book, um, A Diary of Private Prayer. Somebody gave it to me right before we moved. And um, one of the prayers is, you know, bind my heart to the unseen and the to the holy interest of the unseen world. Mm. Um, and I think there, there's, be, there's something so beautiful about that. And obviously I've memorized it. So <laughs> I, I think about it a lot. But I also think incarnation says, bind my heart to the holy interest of the seen world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's kind of the paradox there. And then kingdom is very similar um, in the sense of thinking about Jesus' kingdom as having spiritual dimensions and physical and I would even say political dimensions, you know, like what does it mean for the kingdom to come on earth um, for God's will to be done as it is in heaven. And again, I was raised in a tradition where I would say, you know, we really thought about salvation as, you know, that individual person pledging their allegiance to Christ, confessing their sin, receiving the gift of salvation. And I think it is that, And Mm -hmm. I think it is all of these other dimensions of how God is redeeming all of creation. Mm -hmm. And so kingdom is, is grappling with that tension. Um, And then grace is just talking about, I mean, in my life, I felt the tension between effort and grace. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, you know, maybe 
grace precluded effort. Um, so there's a lot in that particular section to just talk about grace doesn't preclude effort. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, nobody can say it, say it better than Dallas Willard that grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. Mm-hmm. And what are the efforts that we make in our spiritual life? And, um, and of course, this is, you know, looking to Christ on the cross, who, of course, makes it even possible for us to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Mm. And, um, and then the last section was, which was actually the first one that I wrote. Sorry, this is going on a little bit longer. No, you're good. Um, you're good. Okay. Um, was the section on lament. Mm. This whole idea, the both and of faith and grief, faith and doubt, you know, faith and outrage. Um, And I I think that so much of my writing has come out of my personal stories of loss. Um, I was a very new Christian when my dad died and then my brother died several years after that. And um, I think just very early in my Christian life, I was wrestling with, I, you know, again, how do I trust that? How do I express faithfully? God is good. And I do believe that. And, you know, life sucks sometimes Mm -hmm. and it hurts And I think that the both and is so important, especially for the world, um, because the world really disregards Christians who are like, everything's great. (laughs) You know, Jesus is king. And it's like, what? Um, You know, I don't know what world you live in, Mm -hmm. but that's not my reality. And I think there's I think there's testimony in the Psalms, of course, that say this is this paradox is central to um, to the Psalms that you can say at this in the very same breath. I praise you and I trust you. And how long, oh, Lord? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when when will you when will you pay us attention again? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Just as you were talking, I was thinking about there's so many to choose from. And yet you, it, it was serendipitous that you captured these in incarnation, just this idea of stopping and pausing on God and man, that God became Mm. man. I love the ands. I love that. It's made me read my Bible differently after reading your book, which I really love. Um, And you talk about the interplay between material and spiritual and so would you, you, you got to it, but maybe could you unpack just a little bit more? How does it teach us the value of seeing God in the material? So instead of escaping, right? So we, we talk about that a lot. Maybe it is in the sense of kingdom too, that if you look in the Lord's prayer, it's not about dying so we can go to heaven. There's something about bringing on earth, heaven to earth, right? Um, and so anyways, yeah, just if you could unpack that a little bit, maybe it's incarnation, maybe it's kingdom. I'm not sure. Hmm. I think place has just been a really important um, aspect of this for me Mm. um, is to think about these, you know, if in God, we live and move and have our being. And if he, you know, appoints the seasons of our lives and the places where we live, none of these things are incidental Mm -hmm. at all. And I, never grew up really understanding that, I guess. I sort of thought like, well, it didn't really matter. I mean, if you live in Cincinnati, if I live in Cincinnati and you live in Dallas and, you know, so-and-so lives in Toronto, like we're all um, 
following Jesus and you could probably just lay this template over our mm. lives. It, it really is. It's about particularity. I guess I could even say That's it good. that way. It's about tracing out the particular dimensions of your life, you know, because your call to faithfulness will be expressed in particular ways, not just like these generic ways. Um, generic, I guess, in some sense, you know, all Christians, for example, practice chastity or they're <laughs> called to chastity. Right. Um, but that might look different for me um, being married, you know, to right. someone who is unmarried. Um, you know, all Christians are called to, you know, generosity um, of, of their material goods. That may look different, you know, depending again on, I mean, it, it doesn't mean that everybody gives exactly the right. same amount of right. money to exactly the same organizations. And so I think incarnation represents this particular section, I think in many ways represents the idea of prizing what is particular about your life mm. and believing that it's not incidental, believing that if God is actually so... Mm values you so much to number the hairs on your head, then why would it be incidental where he, what, where you live, the roommates that you live with, mm. um, the street that you're on, the particular things that are happening in your neighborhood, these things really do matter to God. And, and not just that, not just place, but also, you know, particularities about your body. You know, it, it if I think that, there's a big push, and I think it's cultural, and I think it's also Christian, to just want to look for the one way to live the Christian life. Mm. You know, like there must be, it's sort of like what, you know, there's must be one way to wash my face at night. And if I could just get the perfect Instagram influencer to tell me what, you know, what routine that I need to have, I'll just follow what she does. Mm. And then that's going to, you know, give me beautiful skin too. <laughs> We're, we're tempted to want to copy other people. I mean, mm -hmm. that's very natural. And there's an, there is a call to imitation in the New Testament. But I think we have to learn to practice these things, practice, you know, imitate others in your particular sphere of life. Um, because your faithfulness is going to look different than somebody else's faithfulness. But do you, do I ever spend any time thinking about what those particularities are yeah, and saying, Lord, you know, what does it mean that, you know, I, I've been kind of looking around the last two months, like uh, Cincinnati of all places here I am. Okay. <laughs> you know, there must be something here for me, yeah. obviously caring for my mother, but something else too. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, I just, because in that same section of um, just this talk about the incarnation, it is that in our particularity, like what is God um, restoring in our image um, yeah. in terms of the effects of sin, how the image was corrupted and this restoration to bring us back to a place of glory, um, but ultimately points to his glory. But again, that mm -hmm. is um, the goodness of being able to celebrate our situatedness, um, what he has given me that is unique and, and then everything is rooted in turning it back to the Lord. But I think that this regaining celebration and attention 
for who I am in my embodiedness mm. and how that matters. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And how the differences matter and how it's not a, a quest for perfection, but a quest to honor mm. with what I've been given. Um, and again, that has us focus and value the material and not just try to kind of throw the material to the side as we wait um, for the world to come. Um, which, mm-hmm. again, I, I growing up in... Um, a Baptist church tradition, you know, this idea of salvation of me individually and the restoration of the world wasn't always this consistent theme. And I've just, I've just really enjoyed how I've seen that come back to the forefront yeah. um, mm-hmm. of general conversation that we say, yes, the individual, but yes, the restoration of creation. And how can we just step into that place and show beauty in the material as a way of showing beauty to the eternal as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's well said. So when you, um, what stood out to me uh, in your grace section was the grace of hard words. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so I want to frame it like this because, um, you know, on Culture Matters, we want to we wanna intersect with what we see happening um, in our culture. And for a lot of people, that's what's on their timelines. And, <laughs> and um, I wish it wasn't. Wish but. it wasn't. But that's what people, <laughs> um, they're, in, they're in, in how they ingest culture. And what I see uh, for lots of different reasons is a lot of cancel culture mm. and a lot of Christians yeah. pushing cancel culture. Yeah. And so yes. we want to give hard words, but you talk about giving hard words a little differently um, and that we shouldn't take, I, I, won't, I don't want to take your thunder, um, but just how are we supposed to approach that way of viewing grace as coming with truth and something else? And I think the something else you talk about with that, this hope of redemption for the person we're giving hard words to mm was very enlightening for me. Can you kind of unpack that for us? Mm, you probably have a better memory than I do. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, I am so, certainly not um, not a model. I don't feel all the time about speaking the grace of um, hard words. But, you know, if you look at the prophetic tradition, Mm. and I think that's exactly kind of where I go in that particular section. I mean, there are hard words for Israel. Um, Israel, you know, you have forsaken me, you know. Um, And I mean, the imagery is is very stark, right? Mm. You know, you've whored after other gods. Um, There are so many times where the prophets... Um, they don't mince words. Mm. They call a spade a spade. They mm. call idolatry idolatry. But it is never for the purpose of making Israel just digging them into the ground, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. putting them under the yeah. under the divine yeah. thumb. Well, you are gonna know how really slimy you are. And that's where we go wrong with our hard words is that we just want people, we want to put people under the, our, you know, our Mm -hmm. thumb of accusation and we don't want, we're not going to let them squirm out from under it. You're a real jerk, you know, whatever Mm. you failed in this way. And the only impulse is really just to punish them. Mm -hmm just to make sure that they know how really scummy that they are and how much they've disappointed us Mm. and failed at this particular relationship. And I think that that is a failure of, Mm. of the hard words that are spoken by grace because grace 
I mean, grace is, I mean, if it's an expression of love and love believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. And so, you know, presumably if you are speaking a hard word to another person, it's because you are hoping best for them, Mm -hmm. hoping better for them. And it really you have to also believe your hard words can't just be, well, you know, you disappointed my expectations. Um, I think in Christian relationships, it's so much about, I mean, our, our call to speak hard words to other people is re- it's related to sin. It's not just to my own particular like pet um, preferences, you know, well, I'm mad Elizabeth that you didn't call me when you said you would, I mean, I don't know, maybe that becomes a longer standing thing in our relationship and, and something to talk about the sin of, you know, Mm -hmm. saying yes, meaning no. Mm Um, but it's, you know, God is so hopeful Mm -hmm. and he is so patient And his love is so long suffering. Mm. And I think that is what we're not seeing upheld in cancel culture. We just are seeing people just do, we're we're just seeing Christians imitate the world, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Is that there's no hope you messed up and, I don't understand it. I have to, I have to be honest. Cause I think goodness, um, if there's one thing that we know is Christians, it's that, you know, um, there's hope. Mm. You know, it reminds me of there's this video where somebody dubs over this old like Bible movie and Jesus is standing in front of the 12 disciples and he's giving them like words. But instead of saying like, nice words to them. He's like, you did this and you're bad and you did this and you're Mm, bad. And mm -hmm. he finishes the sermon at the very end. And he says, and there is no hope, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and you're like, and it's complete satire because you're like, this is, this is the opposite of what Jesus would say. And so hope can speak hard words. Mm. I think hard words can be inspired by Mm -hmm. hope that this isn't, this isn't the best that God has for you. And this isn't who God's calling you to be. And I, I want to believe that you can get up unstuck from this place and I'm here with you. And again, I think hard words too, spoken faithfully, they're not the, you know, bombshell, see you later, clean your life up and um, we'll be back in touch. It's um, I mean, God companions with his suffering, Mm -hmm. sinning people. Mm. It's really helpful. I we I had a minister say, you know, the gospel neither cancels you nor coddles you. And that's what I was mm. thinking as you said that. It's like, we're not just going to cancel somebody because they're having a hard time or struggling. We're also not going to coddle. We're going to hope with a, a what you're saying, a, a, with a reconciliation, redemption, something in mind that we'd come to our senses, etc. And it's not always nice to be on the other end of hard words. Um, but there have been hard words spoken to me that I'm so happy now that they were, um, Mm. yeah. And some not, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) We all have those. Yeah, we all have those too. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think about how, cause to be the person who speaks the hard words, but still shows up in journeys with hope, um, you know, takes away this, I, I think sinful, um, if joy is the right word that you get from uh, this idea of vengeance or this idea that I 
told you all about yourself and I feel justified in that. Mm. Um, yeah. And so I think it, it is a light, shines a light on us to say, well, why don't I want to live in this tension? You know, there there's wisdom for all things. Uh, but in the moments where it's clear that we need to give hard words, but to be a companion and I don't want to be when that is what Christ is to me continually, that it is a good assessment for me to say, I am feeding into something that is not shining the light of what I what I say I believe in. Um, mm. Because it is. It's sometimes our inability to live within the, these paradoxes is saying, hey, I need to, um, I'm not living up to the, to the fullness of what I say I believe. Mm. Um, because the reasons we don't want to walk into it aren't just because we are difficulty in understanding, but sometimes I think it's because we love things we shouldn't love. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's really good, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. That's a hard word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I will journey with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I might ask a question um, about deconstruction mm-hmm. because it's a hot button mm. topic. And I've seen sort of the misrepresentation of paradox used in deconstruction arguments um, to to sort of take what are bedrock principles of faith and and sort of say well no one can really know how can you claim to know and i i think there's you do a great job of this you say one thing paradox can teach us is humility but what i've noticed is sometimes um Humility is not synonymous with agnosticism. Mm. And I think sometimes in, and again, into th- this is so much different in the like person to person atmosphere than like the online debates or whatever, right? But just to m- try to name maybe the cultural air we're breathing, it seems what some people want us to say is, well, there's paradox to go back to the mystery thing. So no one can know. And mm. since no one can know, you can't have you know, how can you believe something, right? And um, maybe it looks like this, you know, well, I think uh, I have a reformed view of salvation. And somebody else might say, um, well, there's also this other view. And it's like, yeah, I guess no one can know. So we just walk away. And it's like, I don't Mm. actually think that's what we're talking about. Like, it's good to believe. It's good to put a stake in the ground. It is. Not with a certitude that sort of runs somebody over, obviously, and where there is paradox to also celebrate the paradox uh, that's happening and take a second and all that. But maybe you could talk a little bit about um, maybe the difference a little bit between hum- what 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 how paradox breeds humility and how that maybe is different from us just throwing our hands up. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go back to Moses because what does yeah. Moses say? He says, you know, here's this thing I don't understand. I'll get closer. Mm. I'll get a closer. I'll get a closer look. And that is what I think. Um, I think that that is a fundamentally important stance um, in the Christian life. Is um, you may get a, you may get a closer look, and you may understand nothing further. Mm. Um, but don't. <laughs> pretend that you can't understand a little bit more by um, getting a closer look. Mm. And I think this, this is just recognizing, um, I guess I, it's funny because 
I'll, I guess I can only say for me, what prevents me from taking a closer look on things? Um, a lot of times it's just that I'm, I'm lazy. I really don't want sure. to dig into something that is going to cause me to, you know, maybe challenge some things I, I thought I knew or consider perspectives I hadn't considered before, or just read some things that I'm unfamiliar with. What we know from psychological research is that everybody prefers to confirm what they already know. Mm. Um, and so as Christians, we know we, at, we need to ask God for the resolve, the courage, mm. and, and just the effort required to um, move closer to something that we don't understand and be willing to um, change a belief if it's, if it's, if it proves to be, you know, if it doesn't stand up to the evidence, the new evidence. Um, and of course, you know, I, I, I don't think that that is, um, I don't think that that's what happens in deconstruction. Right, I right. think actually deconstruction tends to be a far more, I would think, and, and I'm, I'm speculating here, but I think there's a, it's a much more emotional stance and not that there's anything wrong with emotion, but, you know, there are fewer people probably who have real intellectual problems and more people who just sort of say, you know, kind of co-opt other people's excuses mm. to reject the church um, or to reject Christ. And so um, I admire people who, um, if at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I have happened to have a son who is, he wouldn't call it deconstruction. He would just call it intellectual doubt, Yes, you know, who has drawn toward, like come closer to particular um, doctrines of the Christian faith and wrestled with them and read that, that to me feels like a very different impulse sometimes than deconstruction, which is just, uh, you know, who can know, or, you know, I really can't bother to investigate this even further. Um, I just have my own sort of gut sense that this is true or this is false. Um, and I think the kind of rigor that of coming closer to something, giving it a second look, a third look and committing ourselves to learn is really important. Yeah. I love that. I, I love how you described your son's journey. I mean, I, I feel like I'm always on that journey, or I hope I kind of am, you know, um, yeah. that I, so saying it that way, and I, in that, and to, to your point, I, I'm not trying to uh, disparage anybody who's going through, obviously, there's so much loaded sure. in the term of deconstruction in the first yeah. place, right? Um, uh, but sort of as a cultural phenomenon, yeah. maybe that's how we're trying to address it. But yeah, I yeah. think that idea of doubt leading us to press in, leading us to something even more beautiful is a very Christian thing to do. A very, yeah. very Christian thing to do. And I, we were talking to uh, Lori Ferguson Wilbert recently, and she said, I don't like to use the term deconstruction anymore. I like to use the term renovation. And mm. I just love that <laughs> term. She's like, you know, it's like, I'm not knocking my whole house down. I'm just saying maybe it needs some paint, you know? And I was like, that's so great. <laughs> I that. really love I that. that. So as a metaphor, anyways, <laughs> I like the term renovation. <laughs> when I think about, uh, you know, this idea of doubt and questions, uh, and I think about people who, whether it's deconstruction or they would say, sure. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Um, 
it's partly because their the church was not a place where their questions were welcome. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so, you know, when for you to say, you know, oh, you don't understand, you have doubt, well, you come closer. Yeah. You know, let's discover together. Yes. Instead of this, you just need to understand. Just believe it. Yeah. And you <laughs> yes. will be okay. And so as you have journeyed with people, um, you know, through the writing of this book and had other conversations, what word might you give to our listeners who are like, Jen, you know, I'm comfortable being uncomfortable um, in the spaces. I don't understand things, but I know I'm with people who don't have that same ability. Like, how do I journey? How do I have grace? How do I walk with people to welcome them into this space of embracing paradox without um, minimizing their questions? Mm-hmm. So you're talking about people who have questions and may not feel that they're um, that there's a hospitable place to uh, and ask them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I mean, did you guys see Jamar Tisby's um, tweet? It said what he said, something like, you know, people meet evangelicals and they say, yeah. like, I've never met a group of people who have fewer questions or something. Mm, yeah. And I mm. thought, oh, that really, that really hurts, doesn't yeah. it? And I yeah. think it's true. And I think it's sad. I mean, you t- you interviewed Lori, which is wonderful because you think about how many questions Jesus asked mm. um, and he was just a master question asker. I think in church, we really need to create spaces where people can ask questions, mm. where there is, there are, there's gotta be some sort of place. Um, in my church in Toronto, we actually did a Q and A after the sermon and literally like people, um, I mean, could ask crazy questions and they did. Mm. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, it, it, it proved to be interesting. <laughs> um, and, and always I'd have to say, I mean, often so many of the spirit led moments I can think about over the years were in those Q and a sessions, mm. but it wasn't even what it wasn't even what was asked and what was answered. I think the modeling of I've, I've preached the word of God but I, I'm sure that you're wrestling with something. I'm sure that, you know, maybe A, as a preacher, I haven't explained everything adequately. Mm. Um, I've left something unsaid or something unclear, or you have a particular application where you're struggling to kind of like join this truth with this kind of life experience. I mean, these are, that's super fruitful. Um, small groups. I mean, we've all been in small groups where um, I can remember years ago when we were in a small group and um you know, the person would read the question and a couple of people would answer and then he would proceed to read the right answer from, right, right, right. from the answer guide. <laughs> and, you know, you you decide soon enough that you're not going to answer anymore right. because you're like, no, you're just going to read the right thing. So um, I think just creating spaces where questions are invited, mm. where they're actually solicited, and then where the person or persons answering the questions get to be able to say, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. Or that's such a good question. I've never thought about it that way. Or yeah, that's something that's bothered me too. I think that um, questions are met. I think one hospitality practice is Mm. just to admit that you have questions too. Um, That, you know, somebody asking questions, they're not alone. Like I'm asking questions too, but you, you really do need to be asking questions. And I think going back to like, 
are you reading your Bible? If you read your Bible and you never come up with questions <laughs> and you got to, you got to be like, you got to, I don't know, you got to stop. You got to yeah. slow down, Yeah. you know, um, because I don't think there's a day that I, you know, open my Bible reading plan and don't find something that just feels um, incongruent mm-hmm. perhaps mm-hmm. with something that I previously thought I understood. Yeah. Yeah. And what an invitation at that moment, you know, I, I love that idea. It's like when you're reading and it's like, maybe it's incongruent with something you read a couple of days ago, but more often yeah. than that, I feel like it's, I feel more often than that, I feel like it's, it's incongruent with the experience I'm having t- talking earlier to you saying, well, God's saying he's good, but yeah. I'm not feeling a whole lot of that. No. And that just yeah. leading to really great and honest conver- yeah. conversations with God and others you love. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Jen, I'm going to end us on this question. Um, in your journey of embracing paradox, who have been some of the um, great great mentors along the way, whether mm. it's someone that you know personally or I always talk about our friends on our shelves uh, and the books we read. What's one one person that has helped you journey down this road well? Hmm. Well, I was definitely going to say Job. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you. You know, probably not my favorite book of the Bible, but a close second to Genesis Mm -hmm. probably for me. And I, I mean, gosh, I mean, I'm going to Abraham too. Mm. All these places in scripture for me where I think there's a lot of paradox in Abraham's story of faith, you know, the father of faith. And yet so many of his prayers early on don't look like faith. Like, Mm -hmm. Lord, you know, you said I would... I would um, have an heir and I'm childless and Eliezer is going to inherit my house. Like what, you know, what are you talking about? Um, But aside from scripture and those particular books of scripture and characters in scripture, I mean, I'm going to have to say Eugene Peterson. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think that um, metaphor, like his emphasis on metaphor Mm -hmm. as um, Oh, I'm so critical to the language of faith, um, I think relates to this subject because there's an approximation that happens with metaphor. It's an, it's a truth expression, but it's actually like trying to name something true by something, by likening it to something unlike it, (laughs) you know? So metaphor is this incredible way that our language grasp at reality that is beyond us. And um, I think he's helped me to be a better reader of scripture, Mm. to think about metaphor, to think about image Mm. in particular um, in scripture. I mean, we reading the poets um, and reading people who help us to pay attention to the poetry of scripture, Mm. I think is actually really important to um, standing I guess, standing at the foot of truth that is knowable and also vast, mm. you know, at the, at the very same time. Um, yeah. So I guess that's, that's who I would think of. Knowable and vast at the same time. <laughs> yes. You know, cause for the Christian, right. That, that our faith is full of things that are knowable, um, but don't seem to always reconcile Mm. that Mm -hmm. for us to walk with the Lord means that we have to navigate paradox. 
And whether that's between the eternal and the material, it is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of this world. It is faith and grief. It is grace and effort. It is when we enter in and embrace it Mm. that we find the bigness of our God and have uh, an experience with him in, in knowing him and living for him that I don't think we can get outside of embracing it Mm. Um, Mm. and again the beauty might not always feel beautiful it actually might seem really hard in some seasons but there are places for us to know god and come into a knowledge of who he's created us to be that require us to enter in and to embrace it um, with the hope that maybe one day those two things will be reconciled Mm. and maybe one day Mm -hmm. they won't (laughs) Um, but what we know in the midst of it all we'll have the lord and that's what matters for us most. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jen. Thank it has you, Jen. been a joy to talk with you. Thank you, guys. This was so fun. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode was produced by Chris Starrett, Chelsea Conway, and Mandy Page. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. Check the show notes for more information on how to best connect with us as well as find out more information about our guests and ways to support their work. See y'all next time.